You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Robert Silverman. He is a chiropractic doctor, clinical nutritionist, national, international speaker, author of Amazon's number one bestseller, Inside Out Health, founder and CEO of Westchester Integrative Health Center, and his new book also is called Immune Reboot, which we'll get to talk a little bit about that. He has a master of science in human nutrition, five other designations in clinical nutrition, the ACA Sports Council named Dr. Silverman Sports Chiropractor of the Year in 2015. He is on the advisory board for the Functional Medicine University and is a seasoned health and wellness expert on both the speaking circuits and the media. He is also a chief clinic consultant for KBMO Diagnostics. That's a food sensitivity, food inflammation test I use with my clients. So I love that. And Erconia Laser LTD and holds a science board position with Nutridyne. With over 23 years of clinical experience, Dr. Silverman is a thought leader in his field and practice and a frequently published author in peer-reviewed journals and other mainstream publications. So welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to share some clinical insights. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, you know, before we started recording, I was like, well, I really like talking about gut health. So if we go there, but I have a feeling we are just going to be able to have a great conversation on, on all things. (laughs) We're really going to cover a myriad of topics. So just fire away. You don't have to stick to the proverbial schedule. Let's just get information. So the people out there have something Mm -hmm. that's digestible and enables them to help their health outcomes on a daily basis. I love that. Okay. So just starting off, what are you seeing as the most pressing health concern currently in our society? Overall, America is unhealthy and that's unfortunate. 75% of Americans are either overweight or obese. Only 7%, actually a little less than 7% of Americans are metabolically healthy. So they're typically too, their blood lipid counts are elevated and dysregulated blood pressure, which is an unsung marker. And a lot of Americans have a history of cardiovascular disease. And that's because the American diet is sad, standard American diet. The average American consumes 160 pounds of sugar per year. Sugar is extremely deleterious to people's overall health. Sugar works with the reward center in your brain. When mice were offered sugar, 94% of mice took sugar over cocaine. Mm -hmm. The average American consumes 146 pounds of gluten per year. Gluten means glue. You and I both know that we're pro-anti-gluten. I don't know if that makes sense, (laughs) but we're we're without question pro for a gluten-free diet. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Jack Lane once said, if man makes it, I won't eat it. So it's real simple. Stay away from man-made foods. Incidentally, one more quick factoid to start it off. 63% of the average calories consumed by Americans are from ultra processed foods. Yeah. 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 That's a big concern. Okay. I want to touch back on gluten because that is a back and forth debate in some circles, not so much in mine. I feel like it's pretty clear cut, but what is the concern with gluten in your opinion and experience and just in the research? Well, the research is robust that gluten is not a healthy option for vir- virtually anybody. So obviously one in a hundred people approximately have celiac disease. That means you're allergic to the protein in gluten. About four out of 10 people are sensitive to gluten. So right there, 40% should avoid it. 
But it's very interesting that the other six out of 10 people believe they can consume gluten without any detrimental effects. And that's incorrect. There was a study in 2015 that actually tested people who had celiac disease, people who had celiac disease and remission, non-gluten sensitivities, and those who had none of the above that were, we will call them control. Everybody had an elevation of inflammation in their gut barrier. In addition to that, all had a higher incidence of leaky gut. So gluten means glue in cells. And also gluten is wheat, which is grown in our soil, especially our non-organic soil. And that's exposed to glyphosate. Glyphosate has been called by the World Health Organization a cancer-causing chemical. Glyphosate has grown 50 times since 1996 as the world's number one used herbicide. So therefore, glyphosate as a chemical is very detrimental to people's overall health. So here you have this gluten protein, which is damaging to your gut barrier, adding with the chemical that it's exposed to, it's a double, it's a dynamic duo of center of your health. So can you get back to what gluten does to the lining of our intestines, the, in, in the cellular function of intestines? You know, it's interesting. People talk about our gut barrier. People don't realize it's a single layer epithelial cell. It has the thickness of a wet paper towel. So think about that, that wet paper towel, how easy it's perforated, how easy it is to be made more permeable than it's supposed to be. The best metaphor I can use is that our gut lining is like a screen door. So when the screen door is in a perfectly pristine condition, what's supposed to pass and supposed to go in and out can put a hole in that screen door and a lot of things pass and get in and out that aren't supposed to. So if you have a hole in your gut screen door, you're unfortunately going to allow large undigested food particles to go through. You're going to allow viruses, bacteria, and fungi, and you're going to put a strain on your immune system between the outside world and the inside world because it's been postulated. The first time the outside world meets the inside world is going through something that goes through your small intestine and gets into your bloodstream. So you're saying that even, so those, that 60, 60% of people that don't believe they have a gluten sensitivity, gluten still could be creating damage. Could it be creating a sensitivity to gluten or other foods by nature of what it does? That's a great question. Absolutely. Gluten can unsettle and damage the gut, which leads to a food sensitivity. And I know we want to talk about food sensitivity. Great segue. <laughs> You can have a digestion problem. 60 to 70% of Americans have a digestion problem. Do you, you, you know, I ask all my patients, do you get gas and bloating after you eat? But mm -hmm. very common symptomology. Do you get a brain fog about 45 minutes after you eat? A very common symptomology. That said, the reason that you get gas and bloating and brain fog is, is that there is no pain fibers in your gut. So the only way your body can give you a symptom to know what symptom is being damaged is giving you gas and bloating. Now, interesting with the brain fog, the only way that you get brain fog is because there's a numbing of neurological firing from the gut to brain, which is the super highway to health, interestingly enough, to your brain, and you get something called a brain fog. That is interesting. So like, I'm one of those people, right, that I, if I do the elimination of gluten and bring it back in, I don't actually notice immediate symptoms, but 
I do notice over time the brain fog effect. And I do know what gluten does, like you just mentioned, at the gut level. And so for somebody who's going, oh, I don't have an issue with gluten, or I don't think I do, I don't have digestive issues at all, my gut's fine. Is it still worth a shot to eliminate gluten? I think that gluten is a step towards a good, healthy diet. So for me, I have a few acronyms that I recommend for everybody. Number one, GPS. Everybody, no gluten, no processed food, no added sugar. The other one is DNA. No dairy, no nicotine, no artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of other things I recommend is please avoid vegetable oils. There are no vegetable and vegetable oils. (laughs) There are seed oils. They're probably the most ruinous to one's overall health. And avoid deep fried foods. If you can do those two, made a dramatic change to your overall health orientation because food is critical to one's overall health. Food, good food, is a potentiator for health information. Bad food is a potentiator for inflammation in the body. So we need to choose wisely. Yes. And speaking of choosing wisely, this is such a great time to pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. And you guys, I don't know where you live, but where I live, it is hot outside. And when it gets hot, that heat feels like it is zapping my energy. I love getting my day started with AG1 because I feel like I have better energy throughout the day. I even like using the travel packs when I'm on vacation because oftentimes on vacation, I'll miss my AG1 first thing in the morning, but it's a perfect pick-me-up for the afternoon. It can be so difficult to keep up with a supplement routine that comes with all these different products or all these different pills, and then you have to organize them into little containers or whatever it is. Well, what I love about AG1 is that this supplement delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health all in one powder. This product replaces your multivitamin probiotic and it's in one simple drinkable habit that you do every single day. Since I started drinking it, I definitely have noticed, like I said, improved energy, but I also have noticed that it's helped my gut health. I love that it contains ingredients like slippery elm, which strengthens the gut lining, which is something that we just talked about and how important that is. AG1 is not just hype. It is truly raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. You know I'm picky about ingredients, but I love the formulation of all of these ingredients and how it's delivered in one powder that tastes good too. My AG1 is delivered to me every single month, so it's been really easy to make it a daily habit. I love having those travel packs on board just in case I miss a day. I can keep it in my purse to have in the afternoon at work, or I can take it on the go. I just mix it up with cold water and shoot it back. And I feel so good when I'm taking it. With AG1, taking good care of my body each day is really that simple. All it is is one step and done. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash spark. That's drinkag1.com slash spark. Check it out. Now, Dr. Silverman, getting back to discussing the wrong types of foods, what is the concern with the wrong types of food causing inflammation? What is the effect on our health downstream? Great question about the downstream and, and everything like that. Well, the problem is, you know, food is, again, not just, it's a nutrient signaler. 
It turns on certain signals and switches in our body. So, you know, when we talk about switches, now we're talking about not only health switches, we're talking about longevity switches. So food is the gas, the nutrient insertion in our body that's going to speak to our cells and allow us to have energy and allow our body to communicate appropriately. Remember, a body is an interconnected organism. Our body, if we were to have a stethoscope to listen to it function, when we're healthy and we're in a homostatic state should sound like a mellifluous soliloquy. Unfortunately, <laughs> most people when they eat like a Twizzler sounds like the JV band without a conductor and it's thud, thud, thud. I mean, we've got this ability to communicate and food is our information for appropriate communication. Yeah. Now, you know, by the time this episode airs, we're going to be sending our kids back to school. And mm -hmm. that's a real, you know, a question I get a lot from a lot of moms is what do I put in my kid's lunchbox? Because I know the school lunches aren't providing our kids with a whole lot of nutrient dense food. So what can we as parents do to support their health and their, their cognitive function during the school hours? You know, first off, I'm happy that they're packing lunch as opposed to getting the traditional standard American diet and lunch. Uh, my niece just came over from Singapore. She's at a famed university getting a specialty six-week course. And she's complaining that she doesn't like the food because all they did was offer her two boxes of cereal, carbohydrates, sugar, mm. a bagel. And listen, nobody likes a bagel more than me. I mean, I'm Jewish. I grew up in the Bronx. Who doesn't like a bagel? <laughs> but a bagel is just a plethora of carbohydrates upon carbohydrates, sugars, and the such. So first step that you're making the food for your child, great first step. Secondly, you said specifically cognition and brain food. So when I went to school, everybody thought that you should eat a banana. You know, banana was brain food, but mm -hmm. carbs are dirty fuel for your brain. Mm -hmm. Fat, good fat, like avocado, there you have it, is clean fat. It's going to make your brain flow and, and function at a much higher level. So things that I would pack would be avocados, raw nuts, green vegetables. If I were to pack some fruits for them, it would be berries and or an apple. I would limit my fruits because, you know, again, fructose, that is the fat swish and fructose, if anything, really is probably one of the most unhealthy sugars. However, if you take it in a berry form or an apple form, there's a lot of positive nutrients that go with it in that low calorie. Also some good protein sources. How about some turkey? How about some chicken? How about some canned fish? I know sometimes the scent throws everybody off. Protein <laughs> and fats. There are no essential carbohydrates, moms. There are no essential carbs. There's essential fats and there's essential amino acids. So when you're not sure what to pick, go by that. Take the essential nutrients. Avoid what's not essential, which are carbohydrates. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I say that to my clients all the time. I don't ever have to convince anyone to eat carbs, right? Like it doesn't take a lot of convincing, but sometimes I have to convince people to eat fat or to eat protein or to eat more protein or to eat something like sardines. You mentioned the fish and that is one of my favorite foods for brain fuel. So yeah, I mean, that's a big question for a lot of people is what are going to be those fueling foods? So would you say that the foods that impact our cognitive function also support our immune systems as well? Uh, yes. You know, a, a great, again, a great lead in. So one thing about the fish that I want to make sure people say, well, what fish should I choose? I, I feel like I left them wanting something. So I have an acronym <laughs> for the type of fish, wild smash fish, salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, 
herring, try and avoid like a tilapia, limit your swordfish so high in mercury, stick to those smash fishes. I think those are great. And you know, one other acronym before we get in, try to avoid crap, calorically dense foods. I, I don't count calories. Mm. I count chemicals. Yeah. I don't count calories. I count nutrients. I don't count calories. I count satiety. But usually when there's a lot of calories, you're usually not going to be able to offset the nutrients. So let's look at a calorically mm-hmm. non-dense food that's got a tremendous amount of medicinal effects, like a mushroom. I mean, you may have 10 calories with a portion of a mushroom. So there's the calories are low, but the nutrient value is really, really high. Mm-hmm. Um But as far as your immune system, here's a couple of great immune busting foods for the kids, because obviously they go to school, everybody gets cold, everybody gets the flu. We all really uh, now talk about the immune system. I wrote my book, Immune Reboot, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So here are a couple of the boosting ones. Number one, I like fermented foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, dill pickles. Great choice. They are the calorically low, but they also have a lot of what we call prebiotics. Prebiotics feed what we call probiotics that allow for the production of a postbiotic. So at the end of the day, these prebiotics ensure good gut health. These are fuel for our gut to promote healthy metabolites. Mm -hmm. So those would be a great starting point. Blueberries, you know, I talked about fruits. If you're going to have one, those are great immune functions. Um, Interestingly enough, I'm a big proponent of having certain drinks. Now for the kids, maybe not the coffee, but for Mm -hmm. us adults, as long as it's an organic coffee, I love my organic coffee. Green tea, there's nothing better than green or a matcha tea. As a matter of fact, green tea is shown to protect the docking of viruses on cells better than any drug on the market. Wow. Matcha, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So EGCG is a must, whether you take it in a powder, whether you take it in a supplement. And by the way, I'm a person who does distribute a lot of supplements. But what does that mean? Supplements, supplemental to lifestyle. It starts with food. If you're not eating good food, you can take all the vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin A, all the minerals you want. You're still going to be negligent in things that you need. However, I do believe supplementing to a good diet in what I call a window of eating, or if you will, an intermittent fast or time-restricted eating. A couple other foods that I like would be clearly eggs. I believe egg is a superfood. If you're going to use oil, olive oil, what a great choice. Extra virgin olive oil. Um, Macadamia nut. Nuts are an excellent choice. Raw nuts, um, almonds, cashews. Please avoid peanuts. First of all, peanut is not a nut. It's an inflammatory Mm -hmm. food. There's a lot of high food sensitivities or or peanuts are high on the food sensitivity uh, uh, scale, if you will. And again, all the green leafy vegetables that you can get, you know, gas it up. And if you're going to eat a carbohydrate to make your child happy, don't eat a carbohydrate naked, meaning mm-hmm. put put some almond butter on it, mix it with a protein, just don't have a spike of insulin from your carbohydrate, you know, couple it with something else, make it a pseudo duo. Yeah. Yeah. I always say don't carb alone, but I kind of like, don't eat a carbohydrate naked. That's pretty funny too. I think I'm going to use that one as well. Cause that's something don't people carb can alone remember. Is great. Love it. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's super helpful. Can we talk a little bit about, um, the vagus nerve and maybe supporting vagal tone and what uh, that means for the gut brain connection? I feel like you would be a great person to ask about that. 
you know, for me, vagus nerve is critical element and my background is in chiropractic. So we learned all about nerves and the chiropractor is a great choice to get a vagus nerve balance or tone balance and stimulation. Vagus nerve is cranial nerve number 10. We've got a couple of inches where all our cranial nerves live and they're very vital to one's overall health. And I don't see enough practitioners talking about like a cranial nerve exam and especially vagus nerve. Now, although recently vagus nerve has really come to the forefront, vagus nerve, cranial nerve number 10, they call it the vagus because it's the great wanderer. The terrain it covers goes from the medulla oblongata, which is the bottom of the brainstem, all the way down through the transverse colon. Attaching on the transverse colon has branches and tentacles, which touch your heart, your lung, your kidney, your spleen virtually everything in your thoracic and abdominal region. So a good vagus nerve tone is going to imply good health. Now, what's interesting about the vagus nerve is that, that it is the captain of the ship of what we call the parasympathetic nervous system. There's a sympathetic and a parasympathetic. Sympathetic is fight or flight. Everybody knows that. I go boo and people go, ah, and the sympathetics are high. Parasympathetic is I'm cool. It's wine and dine. It's rest and digest. Now, what's interesting is that most Americans are sympathetic dominant. So it's a scale. So if their sympathetics are up, their parasympathetics are down. So vagus nerve tone is traditionally decreased. You want a balancing, or again, I used the word before, homostasis between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, because that would mean your autonomic nervous system is working great. You go into the doctor and many people see, I call it the muscle guy, the atlas. Everybody sees the atlas guy, you know, the muscles. Everybody sees all the nerves in the central nervous system, but not enough people see the autonomic nervous system, which is critical system to overall health and really has many different overlays into this functional medicine conversation that mm -hmm. we're trying to have. And the key, the captain, again, is that vagus nerve. Now, interesting about the vagus nerve, it is the neurological reason that the gut and the brain communicate. Yes, the gut and the brain communicate. As a matter of fact, they communicate in a millisecond. Mm -hmm. So if I eat a piece of white bread or gluten, my brain's going to know it immediately. I like to refer to the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut, which is a bi-directional communication as the super highway to health. So some of the ways that I increase the tone or balance the parasympathetics and the sympathetics with vagus nerve is something called a physiological sigh. Dr. Mm -hmm. Andrew Huberman made that really popular. No one has a more booming podcast than he. <laughs> and it's real simple. You take two short, deep breaths and you take one long breath out. And that will reset your vagus nerve. As a matter of fact, SWAT, Navy SEALs, that's how they're taught to breathe to control themselves under wow fire, if you will. In addition, I use low-level laser therapy. I found that to be massively effective mm. because it stimulates and elevates what we call a heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. Heart rate variability, the ability to go up and down. I mean, we've all watched TV programs and we've seen somebody and say, hey, he's alive or she's alive because it's beeping. That's the heart rate variability. It's not increasing your heart rate. It's the variability between the beats, which imply that you have good health as opposed to one steady beat, which as we all know, when we streamline, that person's got a problem. So for me, the vagus nerve is critical. Also, believe it or not, um, I did a lot of research in the idea of COVID, the decrease 
in vagus nerve tone was a leading cause for long COVID. Ooh, that, okay. When I saw that's so interesting to me because long COVID is still something that we need to be talking about. I mean, it is affecting a lot of people. And so these people that are suffering from long COVID, would it benefit them to support their vagus nerve in these ways that you're talking about? I think it would be a critical element. I've got my own long COVID protocol. That's basis from one of the chapters in my book. Mm-hmm. And they come in to do the physiological side with the low level laser. And we're getting great results in addition to protocols for long COVID, both in diet and of course, supplementation. There's a couple of interesting factors with that, but they would clearly benefit. Interestingly enough, most long COVID subjects with vagus nerve dysfunction had a range or a functional alteration in their vagus nerve in that there was nerve thickening, trouble swallowing, and actually even symptoms Mm -hmm. of impaired breathing. So the studies are very powerful to the idea that the vagus nerve is indicated and uh, its tone is decreased with many long um, COVID patients. The key to stimulating the vagus nerve is that it reduces inflammation. It actually improves outcome in rheumatoid arthritis and it inhibits cytokine production. Mm. It decreases these inflammatory issues by 30%. So not just for long COVID, but for overall health. So the vagus nerve is there actually is an anti-inflammatory nerve, not just as a communicator. Wow. So by supporting the vagus nerve, we're supporting the ability to be flexible and shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic. Do you think that this sympathetic dominance is contributing to the metabolic dysfunction that we're also experiencing as a culture that you mentioned at the beginning? I do. I, I think most people are sympathetic dominant. And I think the fact that they're in a cortisol release. So um, some new information on cortisol, if mm. I may. Yes, please. I used to love to drink my coffee. I get up in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm 11 to 12 in that range. I go to sleep. I wake up at six. Where's my delicious coffee? Now I used to drink it. I used to drink it with MCT oil and a little stevia. So obviously I've made some changes to that formulation. Mm-hmm. Now the studies are very powerful to the idea that maybe coffee, not in the first hour, maybe mm-hmm. wait an hour because coffee has a tendency to release a little extra cortisol. Cortisol is highest in the morning. Also, if you're in an intermittent fast and you're trying to slow down the breaking of the fast, you want to take the coffee later because it can help with protein yeah. synthesis. So, okay, great. Well, Rob, wonderful. You just ruined my morning. What do I take <laughs> in the morning? Well, t- you know what? I would strongly suggest taking some water, hydrating some lemon water, get ready. If you really wanted to, you could have some apple cider vinegar. Mm. Great choice. Um, that was something that I probably should have talked about a little bit more in immunity. Uh, my only suggestion is don't take it straight up. Take it with uh, take a, t- a teaspoon the first time you've ever taken it, working up to a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar with about eight ounces of water. You take it straight up, you'll never talk to me again. <laughs> I will say my six-year-old has a thing for apple cider vinegar. So <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but yeah, every once in a while he's like, can I have a drink of that? I'm like, apple cider vinegar. What? Okay. So yeah. So maybe that'll just make him healthier, but, um, yeah, I, that's fascinating about the coffee. I, I will say I have found, and I've always done that just naturally. I wait a couple hours until I have my coffee. It helps me get through my afternoons better. So I don't know what that says about me and the way I metabolize my caffeine, but, um, that's something I just kind of started doing and loved. And so it's interesting to see that research that it is possibly more effective for people. 
if you can wait 60 to 90 minutes, that would be the choice. Okay. Um, I know it's very difficult for people. They're in a rush in the morning. They need the caffeine burst. It's uh, comforting. It also gets them regular uh, in many instances. And you know, what's most, to me, most interesting about coffee is how we respond. So I am a fast metabolizer. So I need the bathroom really quick because I, I need to go, I, I yeah. need to go pee. And many of my friends do. It just means you're a fast metabolizer. And those fast metabolizers are those people who can actually have coffee at night and not mm. affect their sleep. So mm -hmm. if you don't want to take a genetic test, you can find out real simple, have something after, have a coffee after dinner. And if you're up all night, you're a slow metabolizer. <laughs> right. If you can sleep like a baby, you're a fast metabolizer. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't do it on a night that you need a good night's rest. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of sleep, what does this whole sympathetic dominance and, and gut health, right? What does that have to do with, how does it impact our sleep habits? Well, obviously well, most people have some sleep apnea and, and sleep is probably one of the biggest lifestyle hacks, probably in the top three complaints that I get in patients, whether it be online or in person, are the fact that they're getting poor sleep. Mm. I, I would have to say the number one complaint is fatigue. Now mm. you could attribute a lot of fatigue to sleep. I contributed more mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm. Sleep would be number two. And number three would be the digestion problem, or I'll just say the gut to brain axis where I'm getting digestion. I'm getting a little brain fog. Brain fog is different than fatigue. I'm talking fatigue mm. where people always use the words, I'm tired. Sleep also leads to that also. So they're all a, you know, an interesting uh, sequela in that they're all interrelated. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Now, do you recommend supplements for people to help them get more rest at night? Or, I mean, do you have like, what would you say are the top three things that you would recommend for people? I know that's like hard to do a blanket statement, but. No, it's, it's not. I can tell you that I am without question a melatonin fan. I oh, you do are? believe okay. melatonin is the new vitamin D. Okay. You know, I, was, I was just lecturing this weekend and I, it was like I had made a comment that was attributed to heresy when I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like the literature, you know, the new literature is very powerful in the idea that melatonin is fabulous, not just for sleep. So let's be specific. Melatonin's number one property for good quality sleep is to sync you with your circadian rhythm, your own natural clock. And that's great because you always want to have that natural circadian rhythm. That's actually one of the benefits of intermittent fasting, setting mm -hmm. the circadian rhythm. In addition to that, it helps not as, as high a percentage. It helps you with going to sleep and it also helps you with staying asleep. But here's where melatonin really gives you the bang for the buck. It's great to help with autophagy. It's one of the top choices to mm -hmm. supplement for people who want intermittent fast, time-restricted eat. In addition, it's great to decrease inflammation. As a matter of fact, it was a choice during COVID to decrease the proverbial cytokine storm. It is also great in a musculoskeletal light because it's shown to help disc material here. So you get this myriad of conditions. I believe melatonin is probably an essential fab five to seven supplement and it's great for sleep. Now you ask for three, L-phenine, anything that you want to get into the brain quick, you want to definitely use L-phenine. To me, it's one of the quickest harbingers to get in the brain. And thirdly, believe it or not, and I'm always going to say that, and most people won't talk about it in sleep. I want everybody to have vitamin D3 with K2 all the time, unless otherwise indicated. And when I say indicated, 
I'll say because we've been recorded, if your number's over 100, but really it are over 140, <laughs> optimum levels are 60 to 80. And you and I both know our most of our clients' patients are in that range because we mm -hmm. supplement appropriately. I live in New York. So I have an opportunity to get vitamin D from the sun because it's a sunshine vitamin approximately three to three and a half months out of the year. The problem is I'm never outside from 10 to three. Mm -hmm. I'm always inside. I'm either inside doing podcasts, whatever, seeing patients, filming and reading. So I don't have the opportunity to get exposed. So I do have to supplement. Hence yeah. the idea of supplement to food, lifestyle. And unfortunately, where I live and the lifestyle doesn't allow me to be exposed. So vitamin D3 with K2, critical takeaway to add K2. Yeah, Might as well say why, because people say, well, what does K2 do? Well, vitamin D carries calcium. K2 is the directional uh, portion of where vitamin D takes calcium. So if you have K with vitamin D, calcium gets taken to the bone. If you have no K, vitamin D takes calcium to the soft tissue, therefore plaquing. We, we yeah. just made that change. When I say we just made the change, probably about five to seven years ago. So the field was using a lot of D3 um, without any K previously, but you know, through studies and progression, and that's what we do in that functional medicine, functional nutrition world, we're always trying to progress. Now I would say D3 with K2. Okay. That's super interesting. Now you also touched briefly on L-theanine, but you'd mentioned matcha and green tea before. Isn't L-theanine a property of green tea and matcha? Yep. Yep. I okay. have no problem. If you want to have green, there is a little caffeine in the green tea and matcha. Okay. But I have no problem. I do drink the matcha at night. I don't drink it in the morning, believe it or not. I am mm. wait. I am waiting. I mean, I look, I just like the organic coffee. Mm -hmm. What can I say? And why organic coffee? You know, I, people always ask me that I might as well share some insights. The three number one sprayed items in America are tobacco, cotton, and coffee. So when you go to your local regular Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, they typically not giving you an organic coffee. It's full of pesticides. While I'm on that French press, no French press because mm -hmm. you have all the exudates in the French press. So you want to drip through a non-paper, you even want a metal filter. So if you can do all that with an organic coffee, it's full of polyphenols, antioxidants. And you know what? A little jolt of java from the caffeine, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And some brains really do thrive on that for focus, right? <laughs> so absolutely. That's, that's important. Yeah. I mean, same thing with the matcha. If I'm going to have caffeine in the afternoon, I matcha is my choice because it helps with my focus, I feel. So um, I don't know if that's L-theanine or what, but I love it. So, okay. This is great. Now tell me a little, let's talk a little bit about your book. What can listeners who decide to check out your book, Immune Reboot, what will, what benefits will they get from that? Well, Immune Reboot was made because I live in New York, as I said before, and I was six, we six weeks, six blocks, six blocks from where it all started mm -hmm. in March of 2020. And there was nowhere to go, nobody to listen to. Nobody seemed to have an answer. There were no jabs. There were no protocols. There were no nothing. Mm -hmm. In that, I had to treat these people. So I had a little insight and I had to learn all about the immune system. And I don't feel that we watching the news were exposed to enough information to understand how the immune system works. That being said, I discussed the first two chapters on how the immune system works. 
chapter three speaks to the idea of what supplements you may want to take to have a robust immune system. Four and five, four really talks more about autoimmunity. Chapter five is my seven-hour program on how to treat the gut because again, the gut is the epicenter of your health. 80% of your immune cells are in your gut. It's where your macro and micronutrients are absorbed. And people say, well, why do you have 80% of your immune cells in your gut? It's simple because the number one carnage you can have in your life comes from food, mm -hmm. comes from food. And um, so chapter six and seven really talk about COVID itself. Chapter eight, specific to long COVID. Chapter nine is how to build a strong immune system today and in the future, because we've gone through this pandemic three and a half years later. I hear nobody talking about getting into shape. As a matter of fact, right. gave everybody the opportunity to get in shape and more people got out of shape than in shape. And chapter 10 is about 80 pages on recipes, all immune boosting nice. recipes. So you're really going to learn about how the body works, how to give yourself a robust immune system and how to eat healthily. And it's about 279 pages to be exact. Um, it was an Amazon bestseller. Uh, my mom's proud of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my patients have... Uh, really found it to be helpful and useful. And I do appreciate everybody's support on the book. There'll be more coming. Yeah, no, I, I think your information is spot on what we need to hear right now, because I think we got a lot of, I, I'll say it, I think we got a lot of the wrong information. You know, it was a lot of fear. And what does fear do to the immune system, right? Like, and, I mean, it's just that stress, the chronic stress aspect of how it impacts things. And so, yeah, so I think that, um, just having practical advice, like what you're giving is really, and, and it's things that people can do, you know, eliminating gluten is not that big of a deal, you know, yeah. adding in immune boosting foods. It's not that big of a deal. I, I agree. You know, I ask all my patients, what do you have to lose by eating healthy? Right. I don't see any loss factor to that at all. None at all. Mm-hmm. It's just changing that mindset. Do you have any tips on that for the people who are like, oh, I want to do this, but every time I start, I get sidetracked or I just, it's so easy to go through the drive-through or, you know, just the, the difficulty in sticking with these habits. It takes 16 times to break a habit. So do I expect everybody to be compliant right out of the booth? No, of course not. I understand that. But just remember, Take care of your body, as Jim Rohn once said. It's the only place you have to live. So once you really value that health is wealth, you'll be able to make those changes. And I, it's a defense mechanism that many of us have. But they don't want to feel that they did something wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. You're only doing something wrong when you know and been exposed to it and you don't adapt to it. Mm -hmm. So today's a new day. You cannot change yesterday. You can only change today. It's kind of like the old adage. I had a martial arts instructor and he made an indelible mark on me. He took me to a waterfall and, you know, like, here you are a 12 year old kid that's growing up in the Bronx. What's a waterfall mean to you? And he said, you see the water that passed, all you can do is learn from the past. You can't bring it back. You see the water in front of you. You can only enjoy it and do it. What's today, the water that's coming you based on what you've seen and what's in front of you to anticipate what needs to be done to be better. And it's the same thing I tell my patients. It's okay what you've done, but now you have to start. Once again, health is wealth. Yeah. There's no lottery ticket for health. You have to work for it. 
Absolutely. And then, you know, to take your example further, it's like, look around and go, well, gosh, if I do what everybody else is doing, I'm going to get what everybody else is getting. And that's what 93%. Is that what you said? Metabolically? 93.2% of Americans yeah. are metabolically unhealthy. So that maybe I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's motivation in itself too. Oh, so this has been so great. So where can people, I know you have a great Instagram. I've already been reposting some of your information because I think Thank it's you. so helpful. So where can people follow you and learn more about you and get your books and all of that? So everybody can follow me, um, my Facebook, my Instagram, my LinkedIn, all my social media hacks channels are Dr. Dr. Robert Silverman. Uh, my website is drrobertsilverman.com. And if you want to take a look at the book, you can go to immunereboot.com. Awesome. And so my final question, you know, the name of the show is Sparking Wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Cut down on sugar. Just cut down on sugar. 300 calories of sugar decreases your immune system 50% over a mm. two hour period. It would have made us very susceptible to any kind of viral bacterial infections cut your sugar content down and your kids. Right. I mean, like, gosh, think, like wait, 50%, did you say 50% of immune, immune 50 function of immune function from 300 calories, which is 75 grams. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's like a two slices of pizza, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of kids are eating every day for breakfast, right. lunch, dinner, cereal, so, two cereal. Yes, cereal. Oh, I could two small boxes of cereal, the small ones, like the mm -hmm. rice krispies, mm -hmm. the frosted flakes, what they give at schools. Yeah. What yes. they give at schools. Yes. Okay. Well, that's, thank you so much for that. That's a great note to end on. And um, we do have more control than we think we do. And I think that you are just so helpful with the information you're putting out there and letting people know what we can be doing to take control of our health. So thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your knowledge. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. And everybody remember what you do for yourself dies with you, what you do for others in health lasts for eternity. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.